Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 189 of the GDPR Weekly Show, and coming up in this week's episode, we have news that Russian-backed groups are attempting to hack NATO and Eastern European systems. We then have news that the MOD recruitment system here in the UK has been shut down after a data breach. And then we look at news that the National Cyber Security Centre here in the UK has issued its strongest warning yet against using capacity products. We then have some exciting news that this could see the launch of a new US-EU privacy shield. We then return to domestic matters in the UK and Marks and Spencers are sorry after a shopper received 100 images of other people's parcels. And then remaining in the UK, we look at new PCI DSS standards for credit card and debit card handling. We then return to Russia, where Anonymous have claimed to have hacked the Central Bank of Russia. And then we have news that the Russian oligarchs are using UK GDPR to suppress investigation into their assets. We then travel to France, where French health insurer CNAM has had a data breach affecting half a million people. And then to Canada, where the Canadian Conservative Party has had a data breach. We then travel to Missouri where Histox Insurance has lost in its bid to hold a legal firm liable after a data breach. We then have news that CMS supplier Storyblock has achieved ISO 27001 compliance. We then return to the USA, where CMG Financial has reported a data breach. And we then have news that Globen has become the latest victim of lapsus cyber attack. We then have a look at breaking down the cost of a data breach, just how does the cost of a data breach affect different parts of your organisation? And then finally this week, we have a look at data governance in New Zealand. So as always, a great mix of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately due to the volume of feedback, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And we begin this week with news that Russian hackers have recently attempted to penetrate the networks of NATO and the Ministries of Defence of several Eastern European countries, according to a report from Google's Threat Analysis Group. The report did not say which militaries have been targeted in what Google described as a credential phishing campaign launched by a Russian-based group called Coldriver or Callisto. The campaigns were conducted using newly created Gmail accounts. Google says that while the success rate of these campaigns is unknown, it is not aware of any Gmail accounts being compromised. US officials have repeatedly warned that Russia and Russian-backed hacker groups pose a threat. Russia has denied all accusations of mounting cyber attacks on Western targets. Do you ever wish there was a simple way to get to grips with GDPR? Well, now there is. Our best-selling book, GDPR Made Simple, is available on Amazon for just £7.99. It's a short, concise guide to all you need to know about UK GDPR. It's thoroughly recommended for everyone, whatever your level of experience with GDPR. So that's GDPR Made Simple on Amazon right now. The UK Ministry of Defence has suspended online applications and support services for the British Army's capital-run defence recruitment system and confirmed that digital intruders compromised some data held on would-be soldiers. The Army was informed of the break-in on March 14th and that a group of hackers was going to release Army application data on the dark web. Two days later, the Army shut down the career website and the defence recruitment system as a precautionary measure. The career website is back up and running, but those wishing to file an online application 
I greeted with a message. We are currently experiencing some technical issues with the Army recruitment system. If you have any questions surrounding your application or progression through the recruiting pipeline, please call this number 0345 600 8080 or contact your recruiter. The extent and method of the attack remains under investigation by the Ministry of Defence and Capita. The exact point of entry is yet to be pinpointed. The Defence Recruitment System interfaces with numerous MOD systems including the Joint Personnel Admin System and Training and Finance and Management Information System and it's not known how far the attackers have dropped. The MOD wanted to avoid potential access by miscreants and instead opted for the shutdown. Without access to digital services, the Army is using paper systems to manage their recruitment activity. They have declared a sign for emergency and enacted Operation Roads, an MOD source said. The exact number of candidate details stolen is unconfirmed, but we understand it's been in the range of 125 to 150. It's alleged that 125 recruits' data were for sale on the dark web for one Bitcoin, or 42,733 US dollars at today's exchange rate. Despite the relatively small volume of data exposed, this is incredibly embarrassing for the MOD, and if it turns out DRS was the method of intrusion, very embarrassing for Capita. It's understood that affected candidates have been contacted by the MOD, however the ICO said it had yet to hear anything of the breach from the MOD. An Army spokesperson said, We've been made aware of a compromise of a small section of recruit data and are testing the matter with the utmost importance. Whilst we are investigating the source of information, it would be inappropriate to comment further. We invited Capita to comment, but at the time of broadcast they've not come back to us. If we receive any update on this from either the MOD, the ICO or Capita, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. We mentioned last week that various cybersecurity centres around the world were advising businesses against the use of Kapersky antivirus products because of Kapersky's alleged link to the Russian government. And this week, the National Cybersecurity Centre here in the UK issued its strongest warning yet for businesses using products and services provided by Kapersky. High-profile and critical infrastructure companies, as well as organisations aiding Ukraine or criticising the Russian government, are at the highest risk of being compromised by Russian threat actors, the NCSC said on Tuesday. However, it added that consumers using Kapersky antivirus on their private IT equipment are unlikely to be targeted by the Russian state and can continue using Kapersky products and services. We think this advice is correct, and given the conflict in Ukraine, the context has changed considerably, NCSC Technical Director Ian Levy said on Tuesday. The heightened risk stems from the Russian legal provision that obligates Russian companies, including antivirus providers such as Kapersky, to assist the Russian Federal Security Service, the FSB. According to Levy, the pressure to do so may increase in time of war. We also have hacktivists on each side further complicating matters, so the overall risk has materially changed, he said. Levy said that the NCSC has no evidence that the Russian state intends to suborn Russian commercial products and services to cause damage to UK interests. The precautions, however, stem from the need to err on the side of caution. The absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence, said Levy. The alliance comes days after Kapersky was declared a threat to the US national security and added to the FCC's list of equipment and services covered by Section 2 of the Secure Networks Act. Germany's Federal Office of Information Security, the BSI, has also recommended switching away from Kapersky and other European national cybersecurity centres have followed suit. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, then you will have heard us mention several times the SREMS 2 judgment, which meant that the EU-US data privacy shield was effectively ruled to be unusable. 
we first started that coverage way back in episode 57 of the GDPR Weekly Show. Well, now at long last, on Friday, March the 25th this year, US President Joe Biden and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen jointly announced that a deal has been reached to replace the former Privacy Shield framework governing data transfers from the EEA to the US. Now, it has to be said that there was in the detail, and to date we don't have the actual text of the framework agreement, but we look forward to receiving it, and when we have it, we'll bring you a full update here on GDPR Weekly Show. However, according to the joint statement, the US has agreed to implement the following measures to put in place new safeguards to ensure that signal surveillance activities are necessary and proportionate in the pursuit of defined national security objectives, to establish a two-level independent redress mechanism with binding authority to direct remedial measures, and enhance rigorous and layered oversight of signals intelligence activities to ensure compliance with limitations on surveillance. These new concessions by the US are intended to address concerns regarding the potential risk that personal information transferred to the US could be subject to production to the US government under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act of 1978, the FISA. Such concerns have been at the forefront of EU privacy law for some time and have been the focus of recent decisions from the Court of Justice of the European Union, most notably when the so-called SREMS 2 decision struck down the former Privacy Shield data transfer framework between the US and the EU way back in 2020 because of the potential risk of production of data under the FISA. The test will be whether the new safeguards proposed by the US are deemed sufficient to mitigate the risk of production and alleviate EU concerns. Certainly news of this agreement will be very much welcomed by many given the uncertainty previously created by SREMS 2. After the court struck down the former Privacy Shield framework, organisations were left to determine for themselves other purportedly lawful means of transatlantic data transfers, such as agreeing to standard contractual clauses. And of course, we've mentioned standard contractual clauses both from the EU and now from the UK ICO last week, many times here on the GDPR Weekly Show. However, even the use of standard contractual clauses has recently been called into question. In the last three months, data protection authorities in both Austria and France invalidated the use of Google Analytics after concluding that data collected by Google software could be subject to production under FISA. And of course, we brought you those stories again here on the GDPR Weekly Show recently, including also the use of Google Fonts via the Google Fonts API. Despite this new agreement, it remains uncertain whether the US and EU can settle their differences to create an enforceable regulatory regime. The perspective with which EEA authorities view risks starkly contrasts with the predominant viewpoint in the US. For example, in order to have standing to sue in the US, there must be proof of a concrete risk of harm rather than merely an abstract or hypothetical risk of harm. In contrast, EEA authorities have consistently upheld restrictions based on the type of hypothetical risk of production which underpinned the SREMS 2 decision. With such contrasting viewpoints on measuring actionable risk, it should be fascinating to watch the two sides and how they try to reach a satisfactory compromise. Meanwhile, privacy advocate Matt SREMS, whose lawsuit successfully challenged the privacy shield, has left no doubt that he intends to pursue SREMS 3 as he has stated Firstly, in the end, the Court of Justice will decide a third time. We expect this to be back at court within months from a final decision. We will, of course, keep an eye on how all this evolves and bring you regular updates right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Marks and Spencers apologised after some customers were sent other shoppers' parcel tracking details. One customer said he had received more than 100 text messages with links to GPS locations and photographs of parcels on other people's doorsteps. Someone could have used that information to drive around and pick all those parcels up, he said. 
Marks and Spencer said, due to a technical error, a small number of customers received incorrect text notifications. The spokesperson added, the issue was quickly identified and resolved. We are apologising to the customers for the inconvenience caused. They said only 1% of orders had been affected by the glitch. The customer who asked only to use his first name, Tom, said a flurry of text messages started straight after he placed an order for some bedding. I kept getting loads of messages at once. There's over 100 texts and I had a few two days after I rang up and told them about it, Tom said. Luckily, my phone was on silent, but I could see all these notifications coming through and it was quite distracting. I can imagine for other people this has been happening too. It's pretty annoying. He said he'd been sent pages and pages of links about other people's parcels. While no names or numbers or card details were included, he could see the location and GPS coordinates of where the parcels were delivered, as well as images of some people's parcels that had been left outside. Obviously, the images of people's parcels, web tracking links, location delivery and tracking information is probably somewhat sensitive information, he said. After complaining to Marks and Spencer, Tom received a message which said, While we believe there's no risk of harm to customers, we sincerely apologise for any inconvenience caused. We are continually working to keep your personal information as safe as possible. I hope we've reassured you how seriously we've taken this. We have contacted Martin Spencer for a statement, but at time of going broadcast, we've not heard back from them. But if we do hear back from them, we will, of course, bring their news to you in the next edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. Do you ever wish there was a simple way to get to grips with GDPR? Well, now there is. Our best-selling book, GDPR Made Simple, is available on Amazon for just £7.99. It's a short, concise guide to all you need to know about UK GDPR. It's thoroughly recommended for everyone, whatever your level of experience with GDPR. So that's GDPR Made Simple on Amazon right now. This week has seen the introduction of new multi-factor authentication security standards for online payments come into force. Version 4 of PCI DSS also reforms password requirements and broadens its terminology to address other network access controls. Companies accepting credit card payments online must comply with the new version 4 of the standards. The new version of PCI DSS features several changes. It expands its access control requirements to make multi-factor authentication mandatory for all access into the cardholder data environment and also updates password requirements. Companies following the standard will also have to implement new protections against phishing attacks. The latest document also introduces more flexibility for organisations to demonstrate their compliance. Whereas the previous version focused on firewall protection, version 4 has broadened its terminology to address other network security controls. The council also added support for targeted risk analysis. These let companies define how frequently they perform some security-related activities, it said. The PCI will translate the new version of PCI DSS into different languages over the next few months. Assessors for the companies that verify compliance with the standard will also have to train in the new version. The current version of PCI DSS 3.2.1 will remain active until the 31st of March 2024, the council said. After that, version 4.0 will be the only active version of the standard. Some requirements in the new version are defined as best practice, but will become mandatory. Organisations will have an extra year until March 31st, 2025 to phase those requirements in. If you do need any help with the new PCI DSS standards, please do contact us here at the GDPR Weekly Show. We'll be very willing to help and use the contact details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Russia now and hacktivist group Anonymous have hacked the Central Bank of Russia and are to leak 35,000 files with secret agreements. The group said... Anonymous Collective has hacked the Central Bank of Russia. More than 35,000 files were released in 48 hours. Hashtag Op Russia. 
This comes after it's been reported that the central bank's governor, Alvira Nibelina, tried to resign in opposition to the Ukraine war, but Vladimir Putin ordered her to remain in her role. Sergei Duryev, Professor of Economics at Sciences Po Paris, said that Nibelina, 58, said she didn't sign up to work in wartime. Anonymous said, We've been printing anti-propaganda and tour installation instructions to printers all over Russia for two hours and printed 100,000 copies so far. Fifteen people are working on this operation as we speak. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. In some of the law of unintended consequences, Russian oligarchs and other powerful individuals are turning to GDPR to protect their data from journalists. GDPR is being used by oligarchs in the United Kingdom to sue anyone holding undesirable information on their devices. That could include a journalist's notes from an interview typed into a computer or private investigators compromising photos stored on a phone. The oligarchs are using GDPR with the argument that the journalist is the data controller and therefore has a responsibility under GDPR to protect their data. The way the law is being used by oligarchs to silence journalists is expressly not what Parliament's intention was, said Liam Byrne MP. It's all part of trying to murder the truth. In a March 15th hearing in front of the Foreign Affairs Committee, witnesses and members of Parliament discussed the novel use of privacy laws by the oligarchs. The use of GDPR was successful in a case brought by Russians against Orbis Business Intelligence decided in 2020. Orbis is owned by Christopher Steele, the former British intelligence officer who assembled a dossier containing a collection of largely unverified reports that claimed the Russian government had compromised information about then-presidential candidate Donald Trump. The unfinished raw intelligence report, which accused Russian oligarchs of having close ties with Putin, was partially leaked to journalists spurring articles around the globe dissecting its allegations. It was also used by the FBI as a basis for surveillance of people connected to the Trump campaign. While some aspects of the dossier have been corroborated, much of it has not been backed up by independent sources. The lawsuit alleged that in the process of assembling the dossier, Orbis stored inaccurate information on his computers and thus acted as a data controller. Under GDPR, Orbis was required to take measures to ensure the accuracy of the data, even if he never planned to publish it. The court found Orbis liable in two of the 15 total allegations for mishandling data, even though the company never published information, and awarded a judgment in favour of the oligarchs. In a libel suit, you either win or you lose, Steele said in an in interview. In this case, you're in no man's land legally. It's become proxy for libel law and a way to chill investigations. In another case, a British Parliament member compiled research on a donor and he successfully forced her to turn over all the information she'd compiled on him as a result of the court case. The trusted legal battle has helped to deter further scrutiny. We obviously watch with interest to see whether the UK government issues some changes to UK GDPR to stop oligarchs using GDPR to protect their data. To France now, and on March the 17th, it was revealed that the accounts of 19 healthcare staff had been hacked, causing the details of at least 510,000 people to be stolen. France's CNAM health insurance body, which has now made a formal complaint, explained that unauthorised people had connected to the Amelipro accounts of the healthcare workers whose email addresses had been compromised. Data stolen from affected members of the public included names, surnames, date of birth, social security numbers, GP details and levels of reimbursement. However, no contact details such as telephone numbers or addresses were stolen, nor were any bank details, nor information on health conditions or medication, said CNAM. It began informing those concerned by email a letter on Thursday, March 24th, although the operation is still ongoing this week. 
CNAM said, if your data has been stolen, you should be especially vigilant towards potential scams, as the hackers have some of your personal information and so may be able to target you within seemingly legitimate messages or demands. If you receive an email, text or telephone call which seems suspicious to you, contact the organisation which the message purports to be from to check its veracity before sharing any further details. The theft of your social security number could enable someone to steal your identity. To protect your social security account, you should therefore create a new password immediately. If you use the same password for various different organisations, you should change those too. You can request further advice through the government platform dedicated to the victims of identity theft, which is called Cyber Malvalence. There, you will be able to find further information in French on avoiding and reporting scams. You may also lodge a formal complaint at your local police station or gendarmerie. It may also be possible to launch legal proceedings against a public body which is responsible for storing your personal information as long as you can demonstrate negligence or error on their part. CNAM said that in view of the scale of this leak, they were considering creating an online form for people wishing to make a statement. If we receive any further update on this from CNAM, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Do you ever wish there was a simple way to get to grips with GDPR? Well, now there is. Our best-selling book, GDPR Made Simple, is available on Amazon for just £7.99. It's a short, concise guide to all you need to know about UK GDPR. It's thoroughly recommended for everyone, whatever your level of experience with GDPR. So that's GDPR Made Simple on Amazon right now. To Canada now, and the Conservative Party of Canada says it's confident data about its members has not been compromised following reports of an alleged breach. A spokeswoman for Jean Charest's leadership campaign said on Wednesday it was informed that several people received emails from the camp suggesting they'd made donations when in fact they hadn't. Michelle Coates-Mather says the campaign determined someone had used their website to make false pledges using IP addresses from Ukraine. Later in the day, the incident was publicised on Twitter by a conservative strategist and campaigner who shared their experience and warned members that data had been stolen. Coates-Mather calls what happened an obvious attempt to create chaos that would not be tolerated. She says the campaign notified those who were affected and also told the party's leadership election organising committee. Party Executive Director Wayne Benson said in a statement that the Conservatives take the matter seriously and would investigate any possible misuse of party data. He also expressed confidence that internal membership data had not been compromised. If we receive any further update on this from the Canadian Conservative Party, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Week Show. To America now and Hiscott's Insurance Co. has lost its lawsuit against Warden Drea LLP alleging that the law firm's handling of a data breach exposed the insurer's confidential data after a federal jury in Missouri issued a verdict in favour of the law firm. Histot sued in 2018 after Warden Greer purportedly experienced a hack that put personal information of its clients at risk. Histot said the hackers accessed the computer system containing all the sensitive information. The insurer further alleged that the law firm paid the hacker a ransom in an attempt to keep the compromised information secure, but didn't notify the insurer about the breach. U.S. District Judge Nanette K. Lossary of the Western District of Missouri denied Warden Greer's motion to dismiss most claims in July 2020. The three-day trial began on March 28, 2022, and the jury gave its verdict on Thursday. The suit included claims for breach of contract, implied contract and fiduciary duty, as well as for professional negligence. His stocks was represented by Spencer Farn, LLP. Warden Greer was represented by Horn, Halewood and Bandy, LLC. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
Storyblock, the popular headless content management system, revealed this week that it has received ISO 27001 certification. And we send our congratulations to Storyblock on achieving 27001. They also released the results of a survey which produced some interesting information about content management systems. The survey showed that 69% of UK professionals worry about the security of their content management system, compared to a 64.3% global average. 80% of those who responded said security is extremely important or very important to them when choosing a content management system. 32% said their content management system has new security issues at least once a week. For 7% they said it actually happened daily. 46.4% had a CMS security issue affect their content. And 21.7% conducted security updates between 5 and 9 times every month. So do you use a CMS? What do you think about your CMS security? Let us know. Send us an email to feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com and we can compile a future article based on your responses. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com Online photography firm Shutterfly has confirmed that employee information has been compromised in a data breach resulting from a Conti ransomware attack last December. After infiltrating Shutterfly's network on December the 3rd, the Tronti ransomware game distributed the ransomware on December the 13th, when the company first discovered the compromise according to a data breach notification from Shutterfly filed with the California Attorney General's office. The attacker both locked up some of our systems and accessed some of the data on those systems. This included access to personal information of certain people, including you, the notification said. Employees' personal data, including their names, compensation details, FMLA leave, and workers' compensation claims may have been compromised by the attack. Shutterfly has provided individuals impacted by the breach with free Equifax credit monitoring for two years. Do you ever wish there was a simple way to get to grips with GDPR? Well, now there is. Our best-selling book, GDPR Made Simple, is available on Amazon for just £7.99. It's a short, concise guide to all you need to know about UK GDPR. It's thoroughly recommended for everyone, whatever your level of experience with GDPR. So that's GDPR Made Simple on Amazon right now. CMG Financial, founded in Pleasanton, California in 1993 and licensed in 50 states and the District of Columbia, has declared a data breach. The company also holds federal agency lending approvals with HUD, VA, RHS, GNMA, FNMA and FHLMC. CMG Financial employs approximately 760 people and generates annual revenues of roughly $146 million US dollars. In a letter to their customers, CMG said, We are writing to inform you of an information security incident that may involve certain personal information you provided to CMG Mortgage Inc. We are providing this notice of the precaution to inform potentially affected individuals about the incident and to call your attention to some steps you can take to help protect yourself. Please be assured we have taken reasonable steps to address the incident. On March 18, 2022, CMG became aware of a potential unauthorised access to personal information on a small subset of customers. The personal information involved in the incident is commonly included in the application for a loan and may have included your name, address, date of birth, social security number, driver's licence number, bank account number and loan application number. Based on investigations, it appears you were one of the individuals whose information could be affected by this incident. Please note at this time we're not aware of any fraud or misuse of information as a result of this incident. We take the privacy of personal information seriously and deeply regret that this incident occurred. We took steps to address the incident promptly after it was discovered, including rebuilding and segmenting affected systems and initiating an internal investigation. We regularly take steps to strengthen the security environment of our systems to protect our customer data. 
For example, we will implement additional layers of protection designed to help prevent unauthorised access in the future and to enhance the security of our systems, including implementing multi-factor authentication, further cementing CMG's internal network and systems and upgrading CMG's document management system. To help you protect your identity, we are offering a complimentary 24-month membership of Experian's Identity Work. While identity restoration assistance is immediately available to you, we also encourage you to activate the four detection tools available through Experience Identity Works as a complimentary two-year membership. This product provides you with superior identity detection and resolution of identity theft. If you believe that there has been fraudulent use of information and you'd like to discuss how you may be able to redress those issues, please reach out to an Experian agent. If after discussing your situation with an agent is determined that identity restoration support is needed, then the Experian Identity Restoration Agent is available to work with you to investigate and resolve incidents and fraud that occurred, including as appropriate helping you with contacting credit grantors to dispute charges and closed accounts, assisting you in placing a freeze on your credit file with the three major credit bureaus, and assisting you with contacting government agencies to help restore your identity to its proper condition. We sincerely apologise for this incident and regret any convenience it may cause you. If we receive any update from CMG, we will transmit to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. You may remember that last week we brought you details about the hacking group Lapsus and how they were taking a hiatus. Well, that hiatus doesn't seem to have lasted very long because this week, Globant has admitted to a data breach after Lapsus allegedly leaked the firm's source code. Globant is an IT and software development giant founded in 2003. The company caters to a global customer base and operates Globant X, an innovation incubator. On March the 30th, Lapsus came back from vacation with a new victim pinned in the hacking group's Telegram chat, Globant. The cybercriminals are alleged to have compromised the tech giant system, stealing credentials and intellectual property. Lapsus then published a torrent containing approximately 70 gigabytes of data, allegedly including source code belonging to Globant. In response, Globant said in a statement that a limited section of our company's code repository has been subject to unauthorised access. According to our current analysis, the information that was accessed was limited to certain source code and project-related documentation for a very limited number of clients. To date, we have not found any evidence that other areas of our infrastructure systems or those of our clients have been affected. Globant added that an investigation is underway and the firm is taking strict measures to prevent further incidents. Other high-profile organisations recently connected to lapses attacks are Okta and Cytel. Firstly, Okta was the subject of screenshots circulated online by the hacking group on March 22nd. Okta pointed the finger at Cytel, a third-party Okta sub-processor, as the source of the security incident which happened in January. Okta said that up to 366 customers might have been impacted by the security breach and that the company made a mistake in not informing its clients sooner. The FBI has now placed Lapsus on its most wanted list and seeks information on the group's members. Earlier this month, UK law enforcement arrested seven teenagers, the youngest being 16 years old, who were suspected of being involved in a criminal hacking group. A 16-year-old from Oxford was also accused of having ties with Lapsus, but no formal connection has been made to the operation. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. We all know that data breaches can be expensive, but how does that cost of a data breach break down? Well, a recent survey by IBM showed that 38% of the cost of a data breach comes in lost business costs, which includes customer churn, downtime, and subsequent new business acquisition. 29% of the cost comes in detection and escalation costs, including hunting down and identifying the breach, getting key key members involved, 
and any other external services like forensic, legal, and so on. 27% of the cost goes on post-breach response costs to cover containment, eradication, and recovery processes, while really only 6% of the cost of the data breach is involved in the notification cost to inform regulated agencies, so the ICO in the UK or whatever your equivalent data protection authority is in the country where the breach takes place, your partners, your customers, and the general public. We often speak here on the GDPR Weekly Show about the international transfer of data, and of course we tend to concentrate on data from the UK and the EEA to other countries around the world, or vice versa. But this week we thought we'd take a quick look at New Zealand, because in New Zealand their Privacy Act of 2020 takes a lighter touch approach. When the Privacy Act came into force in December 2020, introduced a new information principle, or IPP, regulating the cross-border disclosure of personal information, IPP-12. While ostensibly IPP-12 is broadly similar to the equivalent GDPR standard contractual clauses, there's one crucial difference. It only applies to a disclosure of personal information offshore. A simple transfer of personal information to a service provider who will only process it as an agent for a New Zealand-based agency is not captured. So New Zealand-based organisations might think that simply complying with the Privacy Act is the end of the story. However, those with the ability to do so are increasingly demanding that data is processed locally where feasible. More and more users of cloud-based services are stipulating that the onshoring of data in their contracts with service providers in order to minimise risks associated with the storage of data overseas. This is particularly prevalent in the health arena and in respect of health information where requirements to hold and process data within New Zealand are becoming commonplace, in part due to the ethical factors that need to be taken into account when considering the appropriateness of sending data offshore. Particularly this can apply with the concept of Maori data sovereignty, which especially recognises the rights and interests that Maori have in relation to their data, which is considered Teonga. And given the reputational risk of foreign governments being seen to snoop around consumers' personal data, organisations that collect information directly from the public need to carefully consider the impact of consumer trust if they themselves regard service providers who will process their consumers' personal data outside of New Zealand. Such market trends have seen New Zealand become a hotbed of investment in data centre infrastructure in recent years. Microsoft announced in 2020 its plans to establish its first data centre region in New Zealand, as did Amazon Web Services later in 2021. Although data sovereignty and customer demands are seen as teen drivers for this, New Zealand also offers a stable regulatory environment and comparatively green electricity to feed energy-intensive data centres. While this can be seen as a win for the local economy, the data held within New Zealand data centres of overseas tech companies may still be subject to the long arm of overseas laws. For instance, US-based tech companies are subject to the Clarifying Lawful Overseas Use of Data Act, commonly known as the Child Act, meaning that US authorities can access data physically held by them in New Zealand for a number of reasons, including the prevention of terrorism and cybercrime. In theory, this sharing data would be subject to appropriate safeguards, whether that's going to be the case in practice remains to be seen. Within New Zealand, New Zealand-based and owned cloud provider Catalyst Cloud was this month appointed to the All-World Government Cloud Framework Agreement, signalling a willingness of key industry players like the New Zealand government to move towards engaging local service providers. The confidence shown in local providers is likely to see more investment still in the establishment of domestic data centres. Given the increasing focus on data sovereignty, New Zealand organisations would do well to consider where it's now the time to buy New Zealand made when it comes to their data hosting requirements and time to put out the welcome home mats for Kiwi personal data held offshore. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. 
The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Until next time, bye-bye.